We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. As far as Macklin goes, this was the decision that he almost made. On Friday, and Baltimore people were pretty sure that they had him then. He also considered the Buffalo Bills, who he visited with early on in free agency. He also considered the Philadelphia Eagles, who, of course, he has a long history with and a lot of love there. So those are his options. But the reality of this is this was all about Baltimore for Macklin. Another opportunity with a big-time quarterback, which is what he believes Joe Flacco is. Everybody with another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That is my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Ian Rappaport from NFL Network with this week's news that Jeremy Macklin has opted to sign with the Baltimore Ravens despite the efforts of the Buffalo Bills to recruit him as a free agent. That is a stab in the heart to most <laughs> most Bills fans. I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get the the frustration. Well, I, I look at I look at our receivers this year to last year our linebacking corp. We didn't really have a whole much. You didn't know what Lorax was going to do. You didn't know. Well, you knew Zach Brown was going to have that kind of a season. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that going into the season. We all looked at linebackers. That's our weakest position. And I think a lot of people are looking at wide receivers, our weakest position, and you have somebody out there like Macklin that you can add to the roster. Might take some pressure off Zay Jones being a rookie. You know, Sammy's always injured. You look at Macklin's history, he's he's never really been injured. Folks, we've got a lot to cover tonight, and we have a monster interview coming up to, uh, to kind of close out the show. But with this Macklin news, we're going to move right into this week's Buffalo Bills news update. First on the docket, the Jeremy Macklin saga. Now, I gotta say, when the news first broke that Jeremy Macklin had been released by the Kansas City Chiefs, I got amused about the Bills taking a look at him, but I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it past that. I mean, Macklin immediately became the highest profile undrafted free agent available on the market. And if he had been released sooner... I think he would have been one of the top 15 UFAs for the entire offseason. Now, obviously, his services, you knew as soon as he got cut that his services were going to be in high demand. So you can imagine my surprise to hear that he was actually coming in here to meet with our front office. Now, I want to take a second and just let me walk you all through my mindset on this thing from start to finish so that hopefully no one misconstrues where I've landed as far as this entire situation goes. My first reaction wasn't to look at anything Bills related. Instead, I just took a look at the rosters and the situations around the other teams that were rumored to be in on trying to recruit Macklin to join the rosters. You look at the 49ers, team that's got a ton of cap room, but they're in full-blown rebuild mode. They've got no shot at contending in their division or conference next season, and they don't look like a good fit on paper for a veteran-wide receiver in his prime who's looking to compete and make an impact on a team that's going to challenge for something. Similarly, you've got the Browns. Again, 
ton of cap room, but they're overhauling their entire roster. They don't, they don't know who their quarterback is going to be. If you are a free agent wide receiver with Macklin's talent level, you just you, you look at a team like the Browns and you, you take into account the fact that they aren't looking like they're going to be competitive in their division for a while. It's not a good fit for a wide receiver in Macklin's shoes. You couple the 49ers and the Browns in the same category. Yeah. They're in full full blown rebuild. Macklin is my age. He's our age, rather, 31, 32. Why would he want to go play for a rebuild if he I has I think he's in if, his 20s. I think he's 29. I'm, I'm, I'm going to Google it. I'm pretty sure that Jeremy Macklin. I'm pretty is, sure he's in his late 20s. He no. hasn't quite hit 30 because I know he's younger than Decker. No, but no, I, I don't think he's in, he would go to, um, to the Browns or the 49ers just based on. Their, their rebuild situation. If you're a veteran wide receiver, he's 29. Yep. So we're close. So you're 29 years old. You want to win. If he's got that mindset, I, I want to win a Super Bowl. You're not going to go to the 49ers or Browns mm-hmm. unless you just want that money. Well, exactly. So then you look at the Eagles. Now, the Eagle, Eagles are interesting because they're Macklin's former team. I mean, he made his career in that city. Multiple thousand-yard seasons. And then he was unceremoniously traded away by that jackass Chip Kelly. I, I, what that guy, whatever anybody saw about that guy as far as being able to evaluate talent and build an NFL roster, he's like Nick Saban. He should just go back to college and do what he was good at. He decimated that Eagles team, and they're finally starting to rebuild from it. Now, they're a team that if they want to compete in their division, they have to find reliable weapons for their newly drafted quarterback in Carson Wentz. And so them pursuing Macklin would make sense on paper. Right? I, w- I would think the Eagles going after Macklin makes a lot of sense. You have a young quarterback, get veteran wide receivers. You know, I know Dallas had this huge season with Zeke and Dak Prescott. I want to say the last couple of years, the NFC East has been won by different division winners. Yeah, it's, it's so you could get the Eagles. Years. You could get the Eagles in there as being a possible division winner. And you want to find reliable weapons who don't get injured. He hasn't been injured mm-hmm. most of his career. You want to get reliable weapons well, for Carson Wentz. Well, I mean, Wentz. Macklin's had some issues he's here and there. He's missed a couple games, couple but games. never. Nothing major. Never, uh, he's never missed like a 10-game season or a whole year no. or an ACL injury. And then you get to Baltimore. Now, look at what the Ravens were. We're going pre-Macklin signing. Minimal cap space, which, which is what led many people to believe that a signing of this type wasn't something that they could pull off. But the Ravens have never been shy about playing right up to the cap because they have a lot of success in finding defensive and offensive line talent in the NFL draft. And out of the five team, teams that, are, that were linked to Macklin, the need of the Ravens was the greatest. When you consider that they just lost their leading pass catcher from last season, Dennis Pitta. I mean, he's a tight end. He's been with the team for forever. But he was their leading pass catcher. His career is over. That hip injury that he sustained in, in minicamp or OTAs, pretty much almost solid. I mean, after years and years of injuries, and especially gruesome hip injuries, his career seems to be over. Now you take a look at what their depth chart looks like when it comes to tight end and wide receiver. When, Who do they have to catch the ball? Well, when you say when you say they're leading pass catcher tight end, that should just end it all right there. Why is your tight end your leading pass catcher? Because he's the only one with any talent. Because you don't have any receivers no. and you rely on your tight end. I mean, That's I, why it would be a good fit I mean, for you look, Macklin. You look at who they have. They've got a journeyman speedster in Mike Wallace who basically is most – Useful when he's stretching the field. And Brashad Perryman, who is a third to fourth wide receiver on most NFL teams. We can all agree he's not a number two. I think he's he's borderline draft bust status. I, he really hasn't lived up to where they picked him in the NFL draft. But those two guys are the only known commodities that they even have on the roster. So there was a desperate need for the Ravens. Okay. And they also have what is probably the most favorable quarterback situation out of any one of these teams, the Bills included. Okay, they've got a Super Bowl winning quarterback who's had multiple, you know, thirty five hundred, four thousand yard seasons. He's he's a gunslinger. I mean, he's a statue in the pocket. But when he's had good weapons and he's had good offensive line play, 
He made the playoffs the first five or six years he was in the league. That right there, as you heard in the intro, is kind of what, you know, the, I, I feel like that's kind of what solidified it for, for Macklin. But so looking through it through that lens, I never really saw the Bills to be contenders from, to land Macklin from the beginning. I mean, I, I had to go on social media and explain to more than a handful of our f- followers in the couple days after he visited here and left that that's how I saw things. Although, don't get me wrong, I love, guys, Terry, Quilted Bunny, you are awesome. Nothing makes me happier than getting up at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning and seeing that I have Twitter messages asking football questions from guys over in England, guys out of Sweden, foreign fans who, to them, it's the early afternoon, Oh, I love that. Middle of the day. It's it's fantastic. I might get get up earlier than you do because I usually get up at 5.30 (laughs) for work and I, and I, First thing I do, I roll over, grab the phone, and most of the time, it's you got a message from Terry over in England, and he's he's either asking something about snapping to the kicker or a cap space. Terry, we love you. So, but but that's the way I explained it to a lot of our followers was that I didn't believe, given everything I just explained, that there, there wasn't a real reason that the Bills should even have a horse in this race. And so, after he left Baltimore on his visit. Without a deal, a lot of people here locally took that as a sign that the Bills were still in the chase. And I, I, I mean, it turned into literally, it turned into Panda Watch from Anchorman. It was absurd. I said, nope, you can't go in there. He's a live panda. He will literally rip your face off. <laughs> so at the end of the day, when, Matt, when it was announced that Macklin signed with the Baltimore Ravens, I wasn't shocked and I'm not upset. I look at it. You didn't think coming to a West Coast offense, McDermott, Shady, like there wasn't any pull that he could have signed here? It's not there wasn't any pull, but he looks at money, he looks at quarterback, and he looks at just overall situation. Here's a team that had a down year last year and went 8-8. Eight and eight. Ultimately, he wants to win a title. Good for him. Go get paid. Go get your... I, I, I would be disingenuous if I said that I ever faulted a player for trying to get what was best for him. That's the best situation for him. He felt he. It's the best quarterback. It's the it's the best overall situation for him to be in right now. It's the best for the team. It's the best for him. The money was right. I mean, everything came up aces for him. I'm not upset that we don't have Jeremy Macklin. He's a nice player, and he would have made a great compliment to Sammy in our offense. But there's the the Ravens were just the more logical fit, and you can't blame a player for wanting that. You just can't. Now, with that said, Macklin in Baltimore, there's a lot of listeners that listeners and other people in social media land that, okay, we didn't get Macklin. Do we dare offer Decker a deal? You know what? Decker, the only reason I'm intrigued by Decker, there's two things, actually. Two things about Decker intrigue me being on this roster. He's not a burner. He doesn't have deep speed. But what he brings to you when you put Eric Decker in the slot on offense, you look at what a red zone weapon he's been over the course of his career. It's because his catch radius is huge and he's got very good hands. So you can line him up in the slot and most slot cornerbacks simply aren't big enough to out jump him for footballs. If you're looking for just a pure possession receiver, I still think that even with all of his injuries, Decker could still be your guy. I also think that we've lost on this roster a significant amount of run-blocking talent at the wide receiver position. I mean, you, Robert Woods was amazing at that. That was one of the things that really kind of grounded his game. And the, watching him go sign that contract with the Rams, I am more than happy that the Bills didn't try to match that ludicrous offer. But at the same time, I look at our wide receiver core and I say, okay, we need some guys, especially in this kind of zone-blocking scheme, who can get out on the edge of a defense and block a cornerback. I don't know that we have that yet. So bringing in a guy like Decker, I wouldn't be against it. But if we didn't do it, I wouldn't be upset because I'd love the cap space. I love the cap room. I love our situation right now. So for everyone who's on the ledge about the fact that we didn't get Macklin, just goose fraba. Take a deep breath and goose fraba. <laughs> but now, since we're talking about goose fraba, it's hilarious because we're about to... We're about to change gears and talk about something that just makes my blood boil. NFL Network's Michael Robinson continues to make me angry. Don't get me wrong. 
I've got nothing against Michael Robinson personally. I don't watch a ton of NFL Network. And I, I, clearly not enough of it to make a truly informed opinion on whether or not he's a knowledgeable or particularly entertaining TV personality. Now, this was all pointed out by one of our listeners, Kathy Barnaby. <laughs> what I know is that Michael Robinson continues to give this Buffalo Bills team credit to a point that it becomes maddening. You think about who we are and who we've been for the last couple of years. Listen to what Michael Robinson had to say about the Buffalo Bills last season before training camp when he was asked when the team was really going to take off and who he thought could contend in this division. Oh, well, you would think this year. Um, I think they, they now have their quarterback. I think Tyrod Taylor is a franchise quarterback. I mean, you look at 20 interceptions, only I mean, 20 TDs, only six interceptions, a uh, pass rating almost at 100. Um, he's very efficient with the football. Rex always talks about his speed, talks about his running ability. But I think his abilities, coupled with Greg Roman's run scheme and how he calls offense and how he calls plays, yeah, he has to get a little bit better between the numbers. But his abilities, coupled with uh, Greg Roman's offensive scheme, I think it can be deadly in the, in the AFC East, and they can definitely challenge uh, the Patriots this year. And I, I don't, hey, right now I got them winning it. Wait, wait, wait. And it's like you you picked the Bills to beat out the Patriots for the division on national television? <laughs> so after seeing the Bills finish seven and nine, the Dolphins make the playoffs and a whole new coaching staff in front office brought in, including a rookie GM and a rookie head coach. Everyone out there can pretty much assume that Michael Robinson would kind of go back and you know, just maybe revisit his line of thinking. Right, Chris? I mean, that's the logical thing, right? This Obviously, team just exploded, rebuilt. The, you don't know what they're going to be. The, the, you'd go back and look at that line of thinking and you'd say, ah, this is okay, maybe I was wrong. Well, that, that clip that we just played for you from last season, we played that clip on our podcast on April 3rd. And Drew and I discussed this before the recording that – Michael Robinson is declaring the Bills winning the division, as you heard at the very end of the clip, on in the beginning of April. He's ensuing that the NFL draft means nothing. And that's that's what he's insinuating. He's he's looking at it as you're making this call of the Bills. So so right there, I have to question your credibility as a broadcaster. But again, I don't watch you enough, so I don't know that you, I I don't have a I don't have any kind of reference point. To say, hey, that guy's wrong. You know, he's just wrong. His opinions are wrong. He's off base. So you would think knowing what he knows now, he'd kind of, you know, he'd go back and he'd reflect on that, right? Well, you're wrong. You're wrong. Instead, Michael Robinson decided to double down on Buffalo. When asked which AFC East team had the best shot at dethroning the Patriots for the division title in 2017, this is what Michael Robinson had to say. I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, first of all, because I trust, I trust Tyrod Taylor. The guy does not turn the football over six interceptions last year. But some of the additions, including the head coach, Sean McDermott, including the defensive coordinator and Leslie Frazier, because last year this defense left their cornerbacks on an island way too often. That cannot happen if they want to be able to threaten uh, the New England Patriots. And they have LaShawn McCoy. They run the football. They run the football with authority. That's what's going to be important if you want to beat the New England Patriots. They got to feel you on the field. They got to feel your will. They got to understand that you're there and you mean business. If they can get that guy going right there and get him in space, it does not matter who's on the defensive side. He'll make a mess. Oh, damn you, Michael Robinson. Don't do this to us. You're an idiot. This is no, no. He's an idiot. This is the type of stuff that people hear. Okay, I see this on social media all the time. People hear this guy talking on NFL Network, or they just walk up to me, you know, and whether it's social media or them just coming up and yelling at me about it when they're drunk at a bar. Start trying to use his, his kind of uh, monologue there as a jumping off point to explain why this is the year. This is the year that we turn it all around. It makes me want to slam my face off the table. It's incredible, Chris. Why wouldn't you pick the Dolphins that were 
just in the playoffs. Guys, I am a, I am an optimist. Do not get me wrong. I'm not trying to dog him for being an optimist for the Buffalo Bills. He's an idiot. But I'm also about, I'm also all about being a realist. Now, two years in a row, I have him just doing what is the equivalent of talking out of your ass. Stop it. Wait till next year. Michael Robinson, do us all a favor and stop it. Wait till next year when we play 2016, 2017, and his 2018 prediction of us dethroning the Patriots. (laughs) I can feel it happening next spring. And then finally, in our last bit of Bills news, the Buffalo Bills have released Colby Listenby. You have a hard-on for him. Listen, anyone paying attention to our show or Twitter knows that for the last two years... I have been nothing but vocal about nothing but vocal for about my support for Colby Lissenby and the potential impact he could have on our roster. So you can imagine how disappointed I was sitting at my desk hearing that he'd been released just last week. I, he was inactive for all of 2016, and he was trying to recover from a very complicated set of surgeries. I mean, he had the double sports hernia that he was able to go to the combine. And he performed through it. Then he, then, then he got struck with an infection. They had to clean out the area of the infection, and in doing so had to perform a number of pelvic operations that, I, I, I mean, it was just incredible. Now, that injury in and of itself dropped him to the sixth round of the draft. And then he struggled with his rehab and hadn't been ready to participate in the team's offseason drills yet. I can't fault Doug Whaley for making that move in the sixth round. No. I feel like in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, you're going to take guys that were maybe highest upside. Five, five star recruits out of high school yep. that maybe had a lot of injuries or maybe some off the field issues. Yep. Chantrell Henderson yep. was a five star recruit. While not being a top tackle, he was serviceable in that mm-hmm. area. I feel like that's what we need in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, so I can't fault Doug Whaley for trying to take somebody that was that had numbers in college but through injuries couldn't get his NFL career going, so he drops in the draft. Well that's what you saw with uh, Alex Anzalone this year going in the third round of the NFL draft. They're banking this is a guy who could have been a first round talent if he could have stayed healthy. But in the third round, if he's healthy, he's a wrecking machine at linebacker. So you gamble. If you're a team that has the draft picks and just the, the roster that you think you can get away with a gamble at that, at that point in the draft, you even, take it. Because at that point, you have nothing to lose. You're betting low on a player with a high ceiling. Even, even as you talk about linebackers, that's something this year that Dallas and Jacksonville have to look forward to with Miles Jack and Jalen Smith. No, absolutely. So I, look at, I looked at Colby Lissenby, and I saw a guy who tracked the ball well in the air was the same kind of sprinter that you know we wanted T.J. Graham and Marquise Goodwin to be. But at the same time, he hand-fought so much better at the line of scrimmage, and he just had so much upper body strength to get off of jams that I thought he could be a real asset to an NFL offense, and I still think that. Now, what, I, what surprised me was the fact that once he cleared waivers, no team in football claimed him, we opted not to add him to the NFI reserve list, which essentially makes him an unrestricted free agent. And I think that that just kind of puts the exclamation point on his time here with the Buffalo Bills, which is disappointing to me. I mean, I think that you're dealing with a new coach, a new GM. They don't know him. They weren't involved in the process of drafting him. They have no loyalty to that player. So I understand that the NFL is a business, and this is a decision that gets made. I still contend, however, the kid has deep speed and ball tracking skills to not only perform at the NFL level, but I watched a lot of his college performances, and I got to tell you, the kid, when he makes plays, he's like, he's, he's like lightning out there on the field. Now, I will say, he himself admitted it on Twitter a couple months ago. No player has ever come back from the type of pelvis surgeries that he's undergone and went on to play in the NFL. I, w- I personally wish him the best, and hopefully somewhere down the line, he gets to be the first person to break that record. And with him off the roster, I mean, we're talking about roster. We're talking about, you know, what things look like going into the offseason. Let's talk a little bit about Bill's minicamp. Some news, some observations. Let's take a look at what's out there. I mean, let me preface this by saying that at this time of year, it drives me crazy. It really does. It's the point in every NFL season that as coaches just overflowing with positivity, 
You got players saying all of the right things. And the media is either trying to anoint someone as a star or crucify them based on practices that involve no pads and no contact. Does anybody remember last year? Chris, do you remember when Des Lewis's name was everywhere? All the rage! I mean, that guy was... You People were talking about him in OTAs and minicamp. Like, Des Lewis, what, oh, look at this guy. He, he He's a sleeper on this roster. He's got a chance to really break out this year. He couldn't get off the line. <laughs> I mean, you... You guys get my point. So it's with a grain of salt that I want to take a look at what I think are the most interesting stories to come out of minicamp so far through the first two practices. First and foremost, the Bills are getting healthier heading into training camp, and that's huge for us. Yeah, we've never heard of that. Zay Jones and Reggie Ragland are both back at full speed. That's important, Chris, because you figure they're both pegged to play a prominent role on this team. Raglan was drafted in the second round. So was Zay Jones. Both, I mean, Zay Jones, right now, everybody out there is probably, you know, they're probably all collectively exhaling, seeing that he's out there. He's out there practicing in full with no limitations because that knee injury sent everybody off the friggin' deep end. And then to see that Raglan's come back from his ACL tear and he's out there running around full participation. That's good because those are two guys that you drafted highly that you're going to need to contribute if you want to be a competitive team. I think some of our listeners will be interested to know in your opinion of Zay Jones and Reggie Ragland. Zay Jones had a knee injury, but nothing of significance. It was a sprain. Okay, a knee sprain. Reggie Ragland is coming off of an ACL tear. How do you handle their participation throughout training camp and preseason games. Well, right now it looks like they're both full go. And I think that that's good. I personally think that that's the right. No, I think that's the right move. You throw them out there. How often, like, give them a, like, when the starters play, do you you give Zay Jones, like, the first preseason game, usually the starters get a series. Do you give Zay Jones a series? Do you give them a little bit more? Ragland? Chris, I'll be honest, with training camp so far away, Come the preseason, I fully expect both of these players to be full go, 100%, ready to take on at least a third of the game, if not more. Well, you hope we're going to win the offseason. <laughs> Again, getting healthy. Watkins, he's moved past individual drills and now performing light teamwork for the first time this whole offseason. That is a huge storyline that's going to come here in training camp. Goes to show you how serious that foot injury was. Oh, yeah. The fact that he they're finally letting him back out on the field to run routes and catch footballs. I mean, the coaching, this coaching staff has decided to take the Watkins situation slowly. And I, even though he's only pa- practicing in a limited capacity, it's a huge step in the right direction. I mean, you figure last year our wide receiver core was in shambles by the end of the season. You need that guy to be healthy. So you don't want to do what the previous regime did. You don't rush him out there because of a sense of desperation. They're doing the right thing and just easing him into this. Now, you talked about training camp time. I wouldn't be shocked if come training camp, they're still in this mode of easing him into playing time. Yeah, we we wouldn't want to see Sammy Watkins playing a fifth preseason game, Doug Marone. (laughs) And then Shaq Lawson. Shaq Lawson has been impressing everybody. I mean, that's another player that missed significant portions of last season. But he's gotten a lot of press because apparently through OTAs, he is looking sharp. And this early portion of the minicamp, he's been really productive. Now, obviously, physicality, when you throw that into the mix, that's going to change the way any lineman performs their job. You're not allowed to hit right now. I'll be interested to see how Lawson holds up against... Real NFL blocking. Where his technique is at. Because I'll be honest, he's not a guy that was going to beat you with speed. You knew that. So I want to see if he can develop into almost, I look like like Griffin. I look at a guy like Griffin from the Vikings. A D-end who is a big guy, maybe not the fastest guy in the world, but he fights for the lead every season he's been there in sacks. Because he's a productive pass rusher who has good technique. Can Lawson grow into that kind? But he's also a great edge setter against the run. That's what Lawson is going to be in this 4-3 defense. 
He's not going to be a burner. He's not, he's not Mario Williams. You know, he can't power past you with speed, you know, use speed and power to move past you. He's got a lot of power moves. He's got some speed, but not a ton. He's not the most bendable athlete. But he's going to be dominant in the run setting, you know, edge setting against the run. And I think that it's going to be interesting to watch him going into training camp, how he kind of improves as a pass rusher. I mean, last year as an outside linebacker, he he was way out of position. He made some. He made some plays. I mean, we're going to be at. Uh, we're going to spend a, at least a couple of days at training camp, gathering information on on our whole team mm-hmm. to display to everybody that listens to our podcast. Which I'm. <laughs> one of the things that we've that I've yelled at you about is the one time that we were doing the podcast and I had asked you about players specific to a three four versus a four three. And it seems like Shaq Lawson in this new defense. It's oh, this is his fit. This is going to be interesting to see how he performs at training camp. Oh no, he's going to be a huge storyline for me. But also his health. The fact that he's healthy, he doesn't seem to be. He doesn't seem to have even in bag drills, sled drills. He he doesn't seem to have any of the lingering effects of that shoulder surgery. That's a huge positive for the Bills because here's a guy you drafted in the first round. Again, a high draft pick. You need these guys healthy if you're going to be a winning team. And then I've got my way too early depth chart notes from the first couple first couple days of minicamp and the last week or two of OTAs. Now, again, this is way too early to draw many conclusions from, but the linebackers, we're going to start there. So far, lining up, we've got Preston Brown, the Lorax, Alexander, and Ramon Humber as your number ones? You're so high! Are you out of your mind? Listen, Ramon Humber is an NFL caliber athlete. Keyword athlete. I can't take that away from him. But as a vet who's got a little bit of speed, he does some things that are that are okay in pass coverage. And I'm, I, I think in a pinch, he's useful on an NFL field. But if he is your starting linebacker, I think it means that something's gone woefully wrong for your team that season. I, I don't know whether it's just based on familiarity with the scheme, given that he's been here longer, his veteran status, or what it is. I just know that Ramon Humber, as our starting weak side linebacker, going into training camp, concerns the hell out of me. I, I know that if Hodges and Ragland can't find ways to get reps with the ones come training camp, we might be in real trouble about the status of our our, our linebacker core. Let me ask you this: We haven't. I mean, we don't get passes to minicamp because we're not in the media, the era. quote unquote media, quote unquote eh, media. Fuck the media! I'm not trying. To. I mean, I haven't. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I I haven't heard anything about Hodges and how he's picking up our defense. No, I, is. Everything's it, it's been radar silence on Hodges, and you think this will go down to training camp? Because I think you this is a training camp. Yeah, I mean, he just got here, so he's still trying to learn the learn where he needs to be, learn his teammates, learn the playbook. Because because your headline of way too early depth chart, you know, it's June training camp's going to be in five six weeks. Are you already you're still banking on Hodges? overtaking Humber for that final starting linebacking I'm job. keeping my fingers crossed that it happens, and if it doesn't, oh. You'll take Chris, a, I'm you'll gonna, take a 12-pack of Moosehead and go outside. That's exactly I'll be, what's going to happen. I'll be outside. I will be the, outside. Because the weather's nice. <laughs> so moving on to another position here that kind of piqued my interest, cornerback. Okay, now you looked at, we lost Stephon Gilmore in the offseason. To we New draft, England. And we drafted Tredavious White in the first round. Which you didn't like. Now, I looked at that. No, I didn't like the pick. I, I really didn't. Looking back at it and reading all the reports that are coming out about minicamp and OTAs, if these reports are accurate, Tredavious White is impressing the hell out of everybody in this cornerback one role. He's consistently been around the ball in the air. And that's one of the things that really... I. I just didn't think would translate over from NCAA to the NFL for him. I mean, you're talking about a player who he batted 14 passes last year, 14 pass breakups. He's obviously understands how to read the ball in the air, but he didn't get a ton of picks. 
And he also struggled sometimes, you know, with his physicality, with, you know, making tackles and things like that. So I thought that, I don't know, I was kind of down on the pick of Tredavious White. But by all accounts, he is crushing at number one wide receiver right now. For a rookie to come in and fill that gap, that's impressive. So that's going to be something to watch coming, because I'll be honest, I went into this offseason kind of quietly thinking in my head, Kevon Seymour has size. He's got a year of NFL experience. In a pinch, if, if White isn't ready, they can always slide him into the slot, play, play Darby and Seymour on the outside, and then just give him a lot of safety help over the top. Now I'm starting to think about it in terms, because I'm hearing all this positive media spin, in terms of Tredavious maybe actually being our guy on the outside, which would be huge because it would allow us to keep a big physical cornerback in the slot who could keep, you know, you jam a wide receiver like Jarvis Landry at the line. It disrupts his ability to get open and hurt your defense. And that, that it just makes your defense multifaceted. So I think his success so far as a number one cornerback on this defense throughout the offseason program, that's a big storyline to follow into training camp. Yeah, one of the last things I, I had read from uh, Joe Biscali, WKPW, was, uh, and I think yesterday or the day before, uh, in minicamp, uh, Tredavious White had either it was one or two clean interceptions of Tyrod Taylor. Nah, I, that's and his ball skills. He's got ball skills that are showing up now. It's, like I said, I didn't expect that to translate as well as it, it seems like it has. So it'll be interesting to see if when physicality comes into play. You know, wide receivers can start shoving back at this point. When that starts to happen and you have to sometimes rely on a jam or you're playing an off coverage where he's supposedly not that great against physical wide receivers, it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues. And then one of the other things I've noticed, and it's something that you're going to hear I'm sure a ton about on the radio, but I feel like it's necessary to talk about, quarterback. Tyrod Taylor and Cardale Jones have struggled through this part of minicamp. You know, to, to date, they've had some issues. Now, I kind of expected that. I mean, you got to figure there's a learning curve to learning any new NFL offense. And that's more true for a player who's only been starting in the NFL for two years. You know, he's, he's for, for as old as he is, he doesn't have that experience. So to, so to hear reports that during OTAs and now into minicamp, Taylor is at a difficult time with his accuracy. I mean, I'm not shocked by it. What about you, Chris? I mean, I've always thought he had deep accuracy, but never like short or intermediate routes. And, you know, people might see, you know, Tyrod Taylor struggles mm-hmm. to pick up this offense. I mean, how much of it? I mean, he was only with Dennison for a year in Baltimore. How much are you really learning of that offense? Can you, because the, the fact that Dennison was in Baltimore for one season, do you really pick up? That entire offense in one no. football I calendar like year. I feel like that point has been overblown by a lot of local media. Like, oh, well, it's his old. He worked with him before. Well, that doesn't mean anything. It was only one season. I, how much of it? How much of the offense do you really pick up in one season? How much of the playbook do you know? I think that there's a lot of things that Dennison's offense calls for that lends itself to Tyrod's strengths. I do. But at the same time, I don't. I'm not going to kid myself into thinking that there's not a learning curve here. So to hear that he's struggling, I'm not about to freak out about it. I'm not going to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do. Freak out, man. I'm just going to ask who's coming with me. And I'm hoping that all of you out there will come with me in not jumping off the ledge because Tyra doesn't look awesome in this offense. Now, what does surprise me and what I think we should be concerned about Big storyline going into training camp. Cardale Jones has been bad for weeks. OTA practices, all the reports I've read, his accuracy is not where it needs to be. He's missing wide receivers. He's routinely off target. He finished his second minicamp practice going one for three with an interception. At this point, Cardale Jones is firmly on the roster bubble, even though he was only drafted a year ago. This is something they talked about on the uh, Cover One podcast, Eric Turner's Did they? podcast. They Their latest podcast was T.J. Yates 
versus Cardale Jones. Because you know they're not going to cut Nathan Peterman. They just drafted him. Why would a new regime cut a quarterback that they just drafted? Well, if you spend draft capital on a guy, you don't cut him in his first year. No. And the fact that that Cardale, although last regime, he's a year into the NFL. So he's he's going to be on the bubble versus The fact is they, dra- they drafted him to be a backup to what they saw as the future of this football team. Right now, that... The, that, that regime's that, gone. That regime is gone. The plan has been changed, and there's no guarantee that Cardale fits that. So that's going to be one of the biggest storylines: is watching what happens with this quarterback depth chart. Because, of, I mean, it's not. It's rare that a second year NFL player gets cut when you're drafted, and like you said, fifth, sixth, seventh round. That's when you gamble. And if those guys don't pan out, you cut them. Fourth round picks. I mean, look at how long we hung on to Duke Williams. Fourth-round picks have a way of sticking around. So I'll be shocked to see if Cardell doesn't stick around. But at the same time, he's, he's at a position where you can't just keep a ton of bodies. He's going to have to find a way to prove that he deserves to be on this roster more than a seasoned veteran like TJ Yates and a rookie draft pick in Nathan Peterman who this regime drafted because he fits their vision for the offense. That's going to be an interesting storyline to take away from all of this as we head forward. All right, folks, and now we're going to switch gears here for the second half of the show. We have an interview. Now, I'm not, you know, this is an interview I've been looking forward to for quite a while. I mean, as most of our listeners know, I don't really have a fanboy, quote-unquote, personality. So I think it carries some weight when I say that I'm I'm truly honored to have a chance to chat with our guest tonight, Del Reed from 26shirts.com. Del, how are you doing tonight? Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Fanboy, that's, that's, a, new, uh, that's a new one I've heard. So. <laughs> Fanboy. I'm, I'm honored to be sliding into that. That's, thank you. Well, I'll <laughs> tell you, husband, father, web developer, entrepreneur, philanthropist, co-creator of the Bills fan base, godfather of the Bills. I mean, you, you sir, wear a lot of hats. <laughs> Yeah, and I only have one hat, so it requires some juggling, but it, each hat is awesome, and um, it's fun to wear them. Now, for you guys who may not know Del Reed, I mean, I'm, I'm sure most of you do. I mean, Del Reed, Buffalo Bills fan, born and raised right here in Buffalo, to the point where his parents had a framed picture of O.J. Simpson in their house. Is that correct? Yeah, you've done your homework. That is correct, yes. Until 1994. Very clear. <laughs> that is awesome. I, uh, well, well, what is... Oh. June, I believe it's June twenty, uh, June seventeenth, right? It's the chase, <laughs> June, which is like in a couple days. June eighteenth, the June, pic- oh my June, god! June eighteenth, the picture came down. Yeah, June eighteenth after the slow it, chase. No, oh, that is so, yeah. So, that's uh, we're coming up on that anniversary again, aren't we? It's uh, still remember exactly where I was, and my dad telling me, uh, yeah, OJ's got some, there's some. He's in the news. I'm like, <laughs> oh really? What's up? <laughs> oh, well, really? Kind of well, what is he doing now? Is he is he uh, is it some act of philanthropy? Is it uh, is it? Oh, he's in a oh. bronco. Oh, he's in a bronco running from the police. So, I, I guess it's fair <laughs> yeah. to say that you were raised. You, I mean, you were raised to be a Bills fan. You know, just through and through. Your parents were huge oh, yeah, fans. Absolutely, absolutely. And you followed as, the team for forever. I'm sorry. Yeah, as most people in Western New York, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And he he yeah, went. Yes. And Dell also attended Buff State, got his degree right here in Buffalo. I mean, I mean, he's a Buffalo guy. It doesn't get much more Buffalo than Dell Reed. Now, there's a series of questions, Dell, that I ask every single fan that every single interview that I do, everyone who comes on the show for the first time, because it helps. The, I think it helps my listeners kind of connect with you and kind of get an idea of who you are as a fan. So first and foremost, you got to give me your least favorite moment and then your favorite moment of being a Buffalo Bills fan. My least favorite moment of being a Buffalo Bills fan, I've got four of them. I probably don't have to get into uh, what those are, right? I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. that's a standard uh, reply, you know. Um, And my favorite moment, it's got to be 51 to 3. I I mean, I'm not very original here. I mean, these are like (laughs) some milestone moments. Um, 51-3 was awesome. I mean, knowing at halftime that the team was actually on their way to the dance was something else. So uh, the whole second half was kind of a blur. But uh, thankfully, I'm old, so I was able to experience a lot of that stuff in you know, my, my late high school, early college years, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, obviously, it's all, all my, my worst and best moments are all 
pretty much encapsulated in the uh, in the Super Bowl era because that was such an awesome time to be a Bills fan. Now, Dell, uh, I don't know if you have it. If you don't, I'm willing to Dropbox it to you. I do have the Raiders and Bills game on my computer. I have it on VHS. I transferred it to my computer. <laughs> if you don't have it and you want that, I can easily Dropbox that to you. <laughs> oh, dude, we may need to talk because I have, like, all these games. I mean, I have years and years and years of games on this uh this NAS device, a network attached storage device I have in my basement that, you know, all the computers in the house get access to. And something happened to that drive and it just, it doesn't click. So like anybody who knows anything about hard drives, when your hard drive starts clicking, that's really bad. But, mm-hmm. um, it, so it's not clicking, but I just cannot get it to access. Like it, there's something wrong with the, with the port on it or something. Chris can definitely so give I, you a hand with that. Yeah. yeah so until want- I pony up the money for Best Buy or somebody to, to like take a look at that drive. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, if you, Historyless. If you want so. that game, I've got it. I've also got Super Bowl twenty five too. So, Dell, on game day, on game day, what is your typical routine? Now, I know I, I don't know if you're a ticket holder. I, I mean, I understand you have kids, so I'm assuming that there's probably some household responsibility still going on on Sunday mornings. See how? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had seasons for a long time, and then uh, it reached the point where, uh, you know, being a dad and everything, it's really it just. You know how Sundays are. It's an all-day thing, you know. Yep. So uh, I, I hated being away from my kids for pretty much almost the entire day out of the two days a week that they had off of school and everything. So I ended up giving those up. I mean, my kids are about to turn 14 and one's 11. Wow. So I'm still cool. I'm about to age out of being a cool dad or being <laughs> cool, period, you know, to them. So uh, once that happens, I might circle back. But right now, they still like hanging out with dad. So, um no, no season. I still end up going to like half the games at least anyways. But um, So typical routine for me is Sunday morning, uh, get up pretty early, start you know, seeing what's going on on Twitter you know, with the, the Bills Mafia Twitter account, try to make sure everything's geared up and ready to go for game day. In that respect, we normally, normally we're running contests or, or something along those lines. Um, take a shower, you know, I head, up, head up to church. I do that every week. Mm-hmm. And then after church, it, normally it's a race home and set up in front of the TV. Normally I've got my laptop and my, my, you know, my cell phone ready to go. Oh, yeah. And I just start hammering out live tweets during the game. And everything, <laughs> like brain dump, like everybody else, you know, like everybody else. Oh, and yeah. obviously if, if I got tickets to that game, if it's a home game, um, normally I will uh, either cut out of church early or, or, or skip if I have to, depending on what's going on. And then, mm-hmm. you know, head up to the stadium and everything. But, um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I'm not very original, you know, <laughs> game <laughs> day's pretty standard, a, you know, that's what I mean. Just, though, but, there and, but no, this is nice because what it is, is it's like, Hey, you're Del Reed. You are the Del Reed, but at the same time you put your pants on the same way everybody else does. You do the same things that dude, the rest of us do when it comes to this. Yeah, I, I am. I'm not worthy of having the in front of my the name. <laughs> I got to ask on a podcast, what's, what's it like being Del Reed? For a, somebody asked me that once during a podcast, you know, watching a game. I'm like, uh, probably overrated. <laughs> you know, it's not, a big, not a big deal. And then what is your beer of choice? When you do decide my to have beer, a beer, what is your beer of choice? I'm not, I'm not really a, a huge drinker. I, you mm-hmm. know, in fact, it was a running joke on Twitter for a long time that um, – I, you know, I'm the guy who'd have a keg of O'Doul's or something like that at the, at the tailgate. Not really, you know, um, which is kind of an insult because O'Doul's is terrible. I'm more of a caliber man myself. There you go. Like Guinness is NA. But, um, you know, in terms of like anything else, um, I guess, you know, maybe an IPA or something like once in a blue moon. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really just more of a not really a big beer drinker guy. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't worry. That just means that there's more for me. I'm not, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> now, guys, Dell is a guy who's been interviewed dozens and dozens of times, and most people in the local area are pretty familiar with who he is. So I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but at the same time, I think it's good for our listeners, especially those who aren't local, to kind of get a bit of, you know, just a little bit of your backstory. And I mean, for, the, for those out there who want a more in-depth read on Dell and his journey, I mean, I'm going to put a link to an interview that he did with yeahbuffalo.com in the show's description tonight. Trust me, it's worth the read if, you, you know, if, if you're still not all that familiar with Dell and you know, everything he's been through. It's definitely worth a read. Now, I, I guess where I want to start is you started this Buffalo fan base with writers and bloggers like uh, Robin Mundy, who currently works for the Bills, uh, BillsWire.com. 
Like, how did that come to? Yeah. And then you started this Bills Mafia phenomenon. I mean, that just kind of took off, which brought a ton of attention to the group. I mean, how did that all come to fruition? Well, Bills Mafia is what started everything. Um, it was a, a joke I made on Twitter, like in early 2011, maybe spring or something like that, just referring to a few of us who had been blocked by Adam Schefter for teasing him about uh, a retweet of Stevie Johnson. Uh, it's, I, I mean, most people know that story by now. If not, go to Buffalo Fanbase. Uh, dot org and read about it but um it was, just a, it was just a joke i made and it kind of like you know blew up blew over and then some players saw it you know when training camp started and started throwing the term around so uh the co-founders brian and leslie and i we said i mean we should do something with this you know who knows what you know twitter was still kind of wild westy back then mm-hmm. um so I, I you know being a web developer by trade i was able to throw a website together real quickly, uh, registered billsmafia.com, and it just kind of took off. And then, so, you know, we were selling some T-shirts and stuff like that, and people started asking, like, well, what the heck? Is this, you know, is this all this Bills Mafia thing is? Is about selling T-shirts? And I was like, and being a lifelong Bills fan, like, my goal has, has never been to take advantage of fellow fans or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I just want to enjoy the experience with them. And since I worked at Roswell Park at the time, I said, yeah, no, what we'll do is we'll take all the, you know, all the money we make, we'll just donate it to Roswell. So... I think that helped give us a little bit of longevity and people knew that we weren't like just trying to, we weren't schemers or anything like that. We're just fans like everybody else and uh, kind of blew up. And then it reached the point where I didn't really want to be handling the, the finances from the merchandise and everything. And from any events we throw, like through my personal bank account, mm-hmm. that just felt like that was just wanted to be everything to be above board. So we had a, a late 2012, early 2013, we had uh, like our own little Kickstarter kind of thing. We raised the money to, uh, have enough money to pay a lawyer to help us set up a 501c3, and that's how our Buffalo fan base uh, mm-hmm. was born. And it kind of just, you know, it's just grown and grown, and we've had some awesome um, editors-in-chief in our day at the blog, uh, which, ironically enough, we started in 2011, shortly after the whole Bills Mafia thing began. And the person who approached us said, hey, you guys should have a blog. Like, all right. His name was Zachary Speck. He now works for Pagula Sports and Entertainment. Wow. Last I checked, he ran all their one Buffalo stuff. So that's, that's kind of awesome. cool. We helped him, you know, uh, you know, cut his teeth a little bit when he was in college and everything, get some experience. So that was awesome. And uh, we've had some other people come through as well, too. So um, Rob Quinn, obviously, who runs all the Bills Wire stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robin Mundy, like you mentioned before. And Jordan LaBarber, who works for the Sabres now. So we've had some really cool writers you know, come through. That's uh, awesome. That's in terms gotta, of the blog and everything. That's got to be a good feeling knowing that something you created helped other people kind of, you know, kind of, kind of let them get some experience and season them to where now they're doing this professionally. You know, that's got to be a good feeling. And I imagine it really Dude, has. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. So, it's, so speaking of an awesome it, feeling, I mean, this is what I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask. Now, working at Rog- Roswell Cancer Research Center, that's really where you kind of, like he's touched on, you came up with the idea for what is now 26shirts.com. You know, you, you looked at it in terms of, hey, we could sell these shirts and give money to charity and find people locally or around the country. I mean, you've expanded into other cities at this point. Finding people who need help and helping them while also selling sports-related you know, memorabilia that, or T-shirts that... People can really, I mean, they enjoy him. People get behind him. Chris is wearing one right now. He's wearing the uh, Steinhaus shirt. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And everywhere Chris goes out of town, he gets props if he runs into other Bills fans. They always see the 26 shirts, and they're always like, oh, man, where'd you get that shirt that's so cool? Yeah, and then I always go, I got it a month ago, and it was only available for two weeks, so you missed out. Now, a lot of the shirts... No, I, I always tell people, don't do that. Don't do that. Just say, I got it at 26shirts.com. Get them to the website first. Then they can figure out they can't get it. <laughs> or, yeah. What, I mean, you know, one one of the things awesome, that, I like about, that I like about 26 shirts, when it comes to wearing Buffalo sports shirts for me, I don't really, I don't really like wearing a shirt that says, like, you know, oh, Buffalo Bills and a logo or Buffalo Sabres, Bandits and a logo. I like... Like the the Orchard Park shirt, I have like something like that. It's playing off Jurassic Park, but it's it says Orchard Park and it's got a buffalo. And it, while it it doesn't say Buffalo Bills, you, you know. know what that that it means about it's Buffalo subtle. and the Bills. It's, it's subtle it's, and it's funny. I mean, those that's what everyone's grown to love about this. Now, Dell, I'm gonna I, I I guess one of the things I got to I'll, I'll I'll admit this. 
up until about a year ago, year or two ago, I didn't know anything about 26shirts.com. But I got to see firsthand the good that your company brings to people's lives. I worked in the finance department of a local staffing agency, and I met this guy named Nathan White. Nate was a great guy. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that he and I were best friends, but around the office, we interacted a lot. He worked in the IT department, so he was constantly coming around fixing everything that was broken. And he and I would talk sports, we'd talk craft beer. He was just one of those guys that you would have a tough time, anybody, picking out an instance where he struck you as anything other than just a genuine guy. And he was also the father to a pair of unborn twin boys. He had a heart, he had a heart valve issue. And I remember talking to him on a Thursday afternoon at the vending machines about this upcoming routine surgery that he was going to be having the next day to try and fix his heart valve issue. And that was literally the last conversation I ever got to have with him because he passed away on the operating table. I mean, it was just shocking to everybody. After, after he passed, you know, his family put together a benefit and a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for his wife and his children-to-be because he was the only earner in the family at the time, and they were just trying to figure out how they were going to pick up all the pieces. And you work in the office. Everyone knew and liked the guy. So there's a million things about you know, you know, GoFundMe campaigns and about different benefits that are going to be thrown and where they're going to be and who's donating what. And then I see this email come across about a T-shirt. A T-shirt that was – for those of you out there who may own it, it's the Ugly Buffalo Christmas Sweater Design. I'll put a link to it in the show's description just in case anyone's curious and checking it out. But if you own that shirt, Del Reed and 26 shirts put together that shirt and donated a portion of all of, you know, all of what was, all the revenue that was raised to his wife and unborn kids. I mean, I, being there at the benefit and seeing how, how much she appreciated that. And the thousands of dollars that you guys kind of you know that you guys brought to her through this chair, it was unbelievable. And I'll, I personally will never forget that. I mean, it, it. I became a huge fan of both yours, your guys' move. After that, I was sold. I mean, it, it's thank you, Reed. That's awesome. I didn't know you had that connection uh, to the White family. That was. Um able to, to help them like we did we uh it turned out it was like a top five um shirt for us mm-hmm. so that was pretty great to be able to help like that um my condolences to you knowing now that you you know mm-hmm. uh you knew nathan so that that sucks my you know my uh, well, sorry to hear that but, and you know what though, we're glad to he's just seeing how his wife responded to it she's kind of an inspiration i mean she's a tough chick and, you know, obviously there's a lot of people still helping her out and they're still, they're still active with the fundraising and things like that. But just seeing that you guys, just how much you were able to help her just through selling a shirt. I mean, I think that you guys have really, this goal that you set out to accomplish, you're trying to help people, you, you're really doing it. And we are, I mean, it's a city of good neighbors thing, you know? I mean, it's what it strikes me as. Like I said, you're a Buffalo guy, I can tell. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't want to take all the credit because I can, you know, I can, you know, release all the different shirts I want and I can work with all the different amazing artists that are out there, but if people don't buy the shirts, they don't believe in our mission, uh, we don't do anything. So I, I, can't, I can't take too much credit because I might provide the shirts, but I'm, I'm not providing the money. So that goes to our, you know, our awesome, you know, customers or, or fans or mm-hmm. partners or however we want to call them. Um, so, you know, if anybody's ever bought a shirt, uh, including you guys, thank you. Now, last week, you guys launched a new design, and I've got to tell all of our listeners out there, if you're a fan of both the Bills and the Beatles, you are going to love this thing. The design is called Abbott Road, playing off the iconic Beatles album cover, Abbey Road. But instead of uh, Lennon and the boys crossing the street, it's Thurman, Jim, Andre, and Bruce. I, I got to ask, what inspired that design? Okay, so the Abbott Road pun, you know, if you've been following us, you know our shirts are... Uh, oh. We use puns and, you know, spoofs a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, that pun, I, I've been wanting to do that for, like, probably two years. And then, uh, you know, and I toyed around with the idea, like, well, okay, maybe we'll do the, uh, you know, Elvis and the chefs, uh, uh, you know, other, you know, Pinto Ron or, you know, like iconic fans crossing the street to go to the stadium. But mm-hmm. could never really come up with uh, the right, you know, uh, the the – any fans we do, we end up leaving out, or you know, somebody be complaining about they're left out or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And I want it to be something that appealed to everybody, you know, because 
Uh, well, you know, those guys are awesome. Like, I don't know if they'd be the best, you know, if you want to wear their shirt or whatever. So, you know, I toyed around it forever. And then finally, um, it came to me a few months ago, like, holy crap, what the heck? I should have been, I should have about this, should have this <laughs> ages ago. And, uh, and, you know, I said, we should just have the, the Hall of Famers do it, you know? So, um, we had those players, uh, agree to do it. You know, I've got connections with, uh, uh, three of them. And then Andre was able to get a hold of Bruce. And uh, got everybody's okay, and we're doing it for Andres Foundation, which supports the Boys and Girls Club. And it's probably my favorite shirt we've ever done <laughs> by a mile, <laughs> by a mile. As, you know, as a, a huge Bills and Beatles fan myself, um, I, I just I love it. I'm probably gonna make sure that I end up myself buying like three or four, so I will always have it the rest of my life. Um, well, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I ordered mine today. You, you like it. Oh, yeah. I ordered mine today. Guys, I'm going to post a link in the show's description to the shirt. I, I urge you to check it out. And not only is it supporting a great cause, but it's an awesome shirt. And I guarantee you that when you wear it out, people are going to see it and you're going to get props on just how original and kind of cool it is. So now, Del... Now that I'm done kind of singing your praises, let's get down to some football talk. I mean, that's that's why we're here, isn't it? And that's, 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 that's what drives our love of this football team. First and foremost, what do you think of the uh, what do you think of the offseason hire of the coach and GM combo, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean? I mean, do you think these seem like okay. the type of guys to kind of steer the ship? As much as you know, you you know, you can love. Um, uh, a hire in June before there's any, <laughs> been any training camp or games played, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know of dudes that you're not really super familiar with to begin with. I love it as much as I can. Um, everything they've done up to this point, I really, I think is the best I could ask for as a fan. So we'll see what happens. And I was joking when they hired McDermott, like I, lo- I like him now. You know, get, I'll get back to you once you know he starts like punting. In the opponent's, you know, side of the field. And everything. Oh yeah. Well, then that's um, that's what we were joking about when they first hired him. It's like everyone's saying the right things, and he's getting a lot of praise from the fan base. Wait until he pulls a Doug Marone and decides to punt from the thirty-nine yard line, and you everyone right, collectively yeah, pulls I love their it. hair out. Yeah, because I love Marone at, the, at this point in that time. So who knows what's going to happen? But um, I, I love that they've pretty much clicked the reset button. And everything with the franchise, aside from you know maybe like Russ Brandon, I think mm-hmm. Oberdorf is still there, but I don't care about that stuff. If everything is running like it's supposed to be running, that's not going to be an issue. So, well, exactly. Um, I I really like the um, McDermott hire. I really like uh, the Brandon Bean hire. And, and now you know these guys coming in at the same time. Um, there's not going to be a lot of questions, I think, in terms of well, who's doing what and who. You know, what I mean, like. Mm-hmm. It, Hopefully, I think that's something that's plagued our team for a long time is the fact that we constantly had coaches coming in during some other GM's, GM's tenure. And it was like yes, neither one. Yes. You didn't go into a season knowing, hey, both of these guys are on the same page. That's why they were hired is because the, the owners think that they can work well together. We haven't seen that during, I, I want to say, since the beginning of the drought. Yeah, it's been offset funny like every single time it feels like. So I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, but so far so good. You know, I like what they're doing. I like. After I was a little bummed they didn't sign Macklin. Then I saw what he got paid by the Ravens today. I was like, no, we're good. You know, so <laughs> two, two years, eleven million. Like that's one of those things. I think a lot of people piped down when they saw that today. So well, speaking um, of free agent additions, but, I don't know, who is your favorite? Now, if you're talking about people who are coming in as free agents, who? What was your favorite free agent addition of the off season? Um, my favorite free agent edition of the. It's a good question. Like, if there was one guy they brought in um, that you think it, might f- play the at least will help the team the most. There's just one guy that you liked uh, when you that you got excited about when they brought him in. Um, I don't. To be fair, I don't know if I got like really excited, you know, about any of the free agents. That's not a slam, but um. I do like, and this doesn't sound weird, I do like that they brought in TJ Yates, um, even if they cut him after training camp. I like that they have a guy who's familiar with the offense. I know Tyrod played in it as well, but I like how they have another guy who's familiar with this offense. I don't know if you guys listened to the John Murphy show today. They had Sage Rosenfels on talking about um, just how this offense is really set up to, um, you know, really um, do well with play action and with, you know, it's going to, 
running game's going to be great, but it takes a year or two to like really get into it and really succeed. Mm-hmm. That's probably true for most offenses. But I, because of that, I really do think that they're going to have an, one more like quote unquote field general who's familiar with it there that can hopefully bring guys up to speed. Not even just mm-hmm. the other quarterbacks, but receivers and stuff, and the mm-hmm. running backs. So you know, I don't know. We'll, it's kind of you know. I don't really have a really exciting answer for you there, but I, I do like that. <laughs> no, I, listen, exciting or not, I wanted to, like that's we're here to get your opinion, man. Now, what are you looking forward to most? I guess is the the, the big question, the big kind of wrap up question in all this. When we think of what's going on this off season, the draft, free agent additions, everything that's happened, what is one thing that you are looking forward to most in 2017 for the Buffalo Bills? I mean, what is it that you as a fan want to see out of them? Uh, well, my expectation, this is going to sound bad, but my expectations for this year, um, I, I'm not expecting them to go lights out and maybe even make the playoffs. I think the team might even take a step backward. Um, so I think in the long term, I think they're really set up for success. This year is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, but I am really interested to see, you know, with, uh, Sean McDermott and how he how he manages the game, how he is going to be dealing with these guys. I mean, they've got actually a, they got Leslie Frazier uh, as a defensive coordinator, which I think is a great pickup. Maybe he's my favorite free agent <laughs> signing. Uh, but uh, you know, having such a competent defensive coordinator who's done it before in the past, really, oh, Lord, please, <laughs> Sean McDermott is, is a head coach and not a coordinator who is playing the role of head coach, which I feel like we've had so often. You know, so I, I'm, I'm really excited to see how this uh, plays out uh, in terms of how he's able to manage the game, manage the team, all of that stuff, because he's not going to be just a defensive coordinator who also decides if they're going to challenge plays. You know what I mean? So oh, absolutely. Uh, that's what I'm excited about. I, w- I want to get to know this coach, and I really hope I'm going to be getting to know him for the next, like, or 15 years <laughs> we can only hope well that's one of the things that we've talked about since all of the hirings of our coaching staff has come in is is who mcdermott's hired we love the frazier and the experienced former head coach dennison his work as a quarterback coach worked with tyrod all the years as an oc and uh i think i think drew and i both really love the addition of mike waffle who we talked about Two weeks oh, ago on our show, all an of the experience that we're getting from our assistants, I think, is going to help McDermott in the long run. Oh, absolutely. Yes, so, absolutely. So, Dell, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter, on Instagram? I mean, we're going to put plugs to your websites and everything else in the show's description. But uh, tell the people where they can find you on social media. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Dell Reed, D-E-L-R-E-I-D. Um, we're also, uh, you know, as at the Bills Mafia on Twitter, at 26Shirts. And that goes the same for the Instagrams with uh, the Bills Mafia and 26Shirts. Uh, uh, you type it into your browser, you'll, you'll find it. You know, Google will get you there. <laughs> they're, ki- um, they're kind of a big deal. But, <laughs> kind yeah, Google's, yeah, Google's kind of a big deal. So, um, but yeah, so, if, you know, um, that's where to find me. And throw me a follow. Say hi. And, oh, yeah. um, no, he's very guys. He's very website, active you know? on social media. Go check it out, and feel free to tweet at him. You know, he loves things about jerseys. I remember he and I were going back and forth at one point about the color rush jerseys. His commentary was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Color rush. <laughs> that says it all. Del, thank you so much yeah. for taking some time out of your night to join us here, guys. We got to get out of here. That's Del Reed. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rockpile Report. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.